Dystoplicans of the World. I'm Raul Guerrero, and I welcome you to the Dystopian Republic. The dawn of January 9th, 1961 is where today's story will begin. Vertical rows of grapevines packed and paved the space within a barbed wire perimeter that partly enclosed an imposing manor from behind its left and right. Hightower wished her dear husband and love Habsburgo V a good morning by climbing on his bed, crawling to him like a cat and kissing him on the lips. He emerged from his blanket and they made out until realizing that today was the first day of instruction for the University of the Capitol. Out a back window, they saw their boy Habsburgo VI and girls Jordine and Amanda playing hide-and-seek tag in the vineyards. Bromelia City's trip back to normal was very slow, considering that Alexis Jr. treated it with a sacrilege that time was unlikely to reverse. Nowhere else did this ring more true than at the University of the Capitol, a campus previously abandoned to be scrapped such that it was in the early stages of falling into the earth. Kobura breathed in the fragrant, overcast breeze, closing her eyes at the peace that's come back to Bromelia better than ever. Catalino V soiled on her sensual feeling by sneaking up on Alejio and giving him an obnoxious noogie. His playful tells for him to say uncle began a fight Clydette and Lysandra had to break up. Arms peevishly out, Catalino told Alejio that he was messing around and asked if jokes were still foreign to him. Lysandra threatened to bludgeon him into being someone totally different if he ever noogied her mate again. Alejio rubbed the pain off the circular scar that took up a large part of his scalp and was somehow able to grow hair like normal. His resentment against Catalino was what Lysandra had for Clydette, but chose to hold those rancors in for the good of everybody else. Verino entered the parking lot near the main quad with Onofre, Jr., Lere, Enrique, and Jasmine at his side from and back. He was happy to see that the gang was all there as he and the other four didn't witness what transpired, knowing only that they're waiting for their ride to arrive. Onofre's eagerness was particularly strong as he was the first to enroll in the course. He sought to comprehend and apply enough to break into the wine business as a proprietor and what better way for him to reach that goal than to learn from the maestro himself. Lara saw Hobsbugel V's class as an opportunity to jump off her job as a vineyard worker 
and onto an elevated one like a lead person or even a manager. Enrique couldn't wait to use the elective course as a means to achieve the ends of being appealing to the ladies and presenting himself as having possibilities to the winery's highbrow clientele. In Jasmine's mind, excelling in Habsburgo's class would add more land to her already wide-ranging intellectual horizon. Of great cheer by default, his course was her life's latest adventure, blinding her to what today had in store for her and her classmates. The limo Habsburgo had come for his students graciously pulled up to the stunned awe of all who beheld its unbridled luxuriousness. Its exterior was a perfection many thought was impossible to achieve, and its interior carried that over to itself. Looking around, the classmates inhaled their thanks to Habsburgo for sharing his good life with them. They sat back as the limo driver told them that they were gonna love where they're headed. A number of onlookers watched the classmates leave for Habsburgo's winery, crafting goals in some and arousing curiosity in others. But for a few, the departure stuffed their stomachs with a rage as sickening as the acid, making magma chambers out of them. Habsburgo V knotted his tie in a cherry that was atop a suit whose burgundy reached an immaculance not many can even attempt to contest. His dapper grin at himself had one man's tastes, another's self-assurance, and a third's modesty. How Habsburgo looked externally and was feeling internally glistened wider than clouds up in heaven. Hightower sat against a wall in the third floor hallway, clicking on platinum wrist cuffs that were baroque in love and embleming the Brumel initial. Her puffy blonde hair exuded a warmness that highlighted the burgundy silking her lips and near clear brute powdering a dewy-eyed smile that was obsessively grateful. Habsburgo VI fast-walked down a path between the second and third grapevines from the middle, shouting for Jordine and Amanda to come out wherever they were. His sisters hid and tried to be quiet inside separate vine lines, but someone was approaching him at a volume no louder than the sensual breeze. Habsburgo stomped and charged his ahaying peak into a grapevine as said approacher stared at him from far away. Jordine smiled at how effective her hiding place was in keeping her out of her brother's sight. Amanda heard Habsburgo come closer and closer to where she was hiding, looking out and around to sketch out a route perfect for outrunning a grape-juiced-up teenager. She leapt onto the path and halted six feet into her run 
for it when her brother screamed so loud that it petrified the birds into flying away in a panic. Jordine and Amanda darted to Habsburgo and found him staggering to get his bloodied and bruised self back up. His enfeebled look down created the appearance of a boy crying into his ice cream, hurting his sisters into hugging him with an intensity that smeared blood on their dresses. Their parents rushed to the scene and their son's battered condition finally split the shards of their broken hearts. Habsburgo VI was frantically told by Hightower to tell her who did this to him so her fury could blow out like steam from a train. Habsburgo V betted that it was those hoodlums who won't leave him alone regardless of how hard he tries to bludgeon that message into their degenerate brains. When Jordine asked him who her brother's attackers were, Amanda described them as a red charm she fell for, hook, line, and sinker. She was blessed that the control they had over her didn't go on long enough to make her do things she can't take back. Amanda would rather not divulge any details as to the swell she did during her time in that crowd. She compelled herself to forget her past and obsess over the class she and Jordine were enrolled in, the same one that had the 10 in the limo as its students. Surprised by an arriving hunk, Hightower took Habsburg VI inside to get treated while Habsburg V told his daughters to come with him because they've got a class to do. The 10 who were in the limo exited it and their jaws hit the ground gasping at an opulence that was a notch below superfluousness. Verino admired the effort Habsburg V put into molding his wine into bottled wonders that would make the old masters proud. Kobura was enamored with how alive the grapevines appeared reminiscing the fairy tales that drew inspiration from her childhood cottage. An oily red droplet caught Catalino's left eye, but his mind saw it as little more than an inconsequential imperfection. Clydette was nothing but smiles at how well cared for the vineyard growers were an exception to a ruthless, perilous norm that was all too normal in her life. Onofre wished that Habsburgo would hurry up as his eagerness to begin his climb to the top made it hard for him to remain self-possessed. Lere found it surreal that where she worked and went to class was one and the same, worrying about how differently her co-workers will treat her when they see her in such youthful company. Maquillaged like princesses, Jordine and Amanda jogged to the front courtyard, halting in a frigid stun upon seeing who they were having class with. 
the sisters received stares they equated to dogs who've cornered their barbarous owners after an overlong hunt. Amanda pondered on the possibility that dealing the ten firm hands on her way out of their good graces was a less than ideal move. Jordine stood by every action she's taken as far as her and her sister's classmates went, resisting the temptation to scream that she was uncontrite. Amanda's dismay at seeing Alejo and Lisandra again was the strongest of all, whereas Jordine feared losing a lot at the hands of Enrique and Jasmine. Habsburgo welcomed his lovely students to winemaking one, preventing his daughters or their classmates from trying a thing. Gleeful greets and giddy waves were gentle yet joyous perfumes to his gem of a confidence, hiding from him grudges he believed had been resolved and moved on from years ago. Habsburgo urged his students to call him by his first name and not Professor Brumel as he found the latter quite impersonal. In spite of having a definite history with his daughters' classmates, he interacted with them as if he's met them for the first time to make sure nothing from the past gets dug out. Habsburgo was 97% certain that the stuff he dosed the 10 with would work as advertised. Calling himself a man who hates wasting time, he got right to giving his students a tour of his operation. This told Alejo, Lisandra, Enrique, and Jasmine what they must do to Jordine and Amanda, tasking them with getting the sisters by themselves. The twelves' excitement for Habsburgo's class remained unaffected, but their way of getting the most out of it now had an undercurrent that was vastly more wholehearted. Hightower's comforting whispers minimized Habsburgo. The sixth is nudging and shaking as the doctor concluded that a trip to the hospital was needed today and now. The cuts didn't cease bleeding and started discharging pus as well as an odor greener than mold. An ambulance was called and told to hurry as every second may be the patient's last. Habsburgo led his class to the wine-tasting bar, describing it as where winery tours begin and a good place to introduce his semester-long project. He said that his winemaking one will involve no quizzes, tests, or even papers, calling such assignments absent of any grasp in the real world. Habsburgo wanted his class to send students off its nest ready to take the wine business by the neck and make it do their bidding. He explained that every point in his winemaking one will come from a project that will culminate in them running his winery for a weekend at the end of May.
Hobbes Bugel said that his lecture series was structured like a training that'll teach them how to manage a winery with the Brumel prestige. He told his class to give themselves a round of applause for securing a chance that's never been nor will ever be given again. Hobbes Bugel V was told by a grower that the ambulance Hightower called for Hobsbugel the Sixth had arrived. Amanda asked if her brother was okay, receiving an answer that made his injuries out to be pieces of a life and death puzzle. The grower added that she wasn't sure if Hobsbugel the Sixth would survive, saying that his fate is now God's to decide. Amanda's try to charge out hit restraining bar workers like a brick wall. The same crash that thwarted Jordine's bolt out the door. The sisters resisted until Hobsbugel V threatened to leave them out in the elements if their struggling didn't cease at once. His daughters urgently halted the resisting and apologized to him for creating a scene. Hobsbugel V warned Amanda and Jordine that hell will cook them to a raw char the next time they pull off such a disruption. His daughter's classmates saw his discipline as slaps to the wrist compared to the pain they'll inflict later. Going on with the class at hand, Hobsbugel asked his students what they knew about winemaking. Enrique said that the grapes used to make wine are different from the ones you'd taste in juice or jelly. Alejo knew that millions can be made from winemaking and Jasmine called its producing process an artwork in itself, denying Onofre and Lere the feeling of having a leg over their peers. The attention Lisandra paid to the class was weaker than her focus on how unsettled Hobsbugel seemed to be beyond his alcoholic buzz on vanity. That plus his abrupt switch from self-love to harshness and back struck her as disturbingly familiar. Hobsbugel found his students' basic understanding of winemaking to be a great starting point he rejoiced at by smiling. He said that while myriads of identities existed in the wine business, his was that of superior grapes, pure sand, and distilled water. Hobsbugel believed that winemaking should represent Bromelia's values of loyalty, dedication, persistence, and preservation, taking Alejo to Lisandra's alarmedness. His winery and its unblemished success was him saying to his naysayers that he told them so after years of trying and failing. If legally able to, he'd get into every one of their faces, kick their groins in, and spit mucus into their eyes, but settled with letting his accomplishments and immense wealth do all the talking. Paramedics carried 
Habsburg VI via folding stretcher to the courtyard as Hightower followed with a heart grappling to keep grief at bay. Awaiting the order to move, the driver froze when several fearsome individuals sprung out from under the grapevines and were about to automatically fire at him, his colleagues, their patient, and his mother. Bullets pummeled the tasting bar with a bluntness that wrestled Hobsburg V and his students on all trembly fours. Guards charged their defense against an attack that enclosed the winery with a thoroughness identical to pearls intended for a necklace. Watching over every door of each building, workers juggled protecting those inside and garnering the courage to lead said people into the manor. The guards presumed that the attackers were lowly robbers or burglars under the influence of a self-motivation more primitive than the every person for themselves mantra. Only a minute was needed for them to make the horrendous realization that their attempted intruders were well equipped with a purulent accord. The nastiness of that lotion yellow fueled their commitment to the offense at hand and belief in being right to attack a have to add a step to their ladder out of having not. Habsburger V repelled any fought, believing that Habsburger VI and Hightower were hurt or worse, crawling into a minuscule room behind a counter. He shakily climbed a ladder to slam down a lever that blared its hits of a drum, spooking the intruders into making a retreat that ended in them being rounded up by federalized police half a mile south. Hobsburger V rushed to see how his wife and son fared and thanked the Lord for sparing them a further injury. He ordered a third of his guards to provide an armed escort to Hobsburger VI Hightower and the medical personnel with his wife and son now safe and on their way to the hospital, Hobsburger V checked to see if any of his own was hurt. To his extremely good fortune, no workers or guards were hit in the relentless firefight. However, he lowered his head in shame at how badly the intruders defaced his grapevines with their bullets. Because of lead and gunpowder contamination, a big minority of the grapes weren't safe for processing and had to be disposed of. The thousands in profit Hobsburgle saw flushed down the toilet made not throwing up in despair difficult. He was so upset that he told Clydette to take her offer of a penny for his thoughts and shove it with a rudely short tone. Her shriek and whimper upset Catalino into telling Habsburgo that what he said was very mean, demanding that he apologize 
right now. Amanda exclaimed that Clydette did that to herself, calling her a weak-willed puppy who had no clue how integral her dad's business was to his being. Catalino saw to it that his mate didn't go through with a slap that would have been her last as a student. Lysandra watched on with a focus that transcribed each word and action, confirming her certainty that Hobbs Bugle had things to hide that resided in his manner. She asked him if the class can stay at his winery for the night to make sure neither she nor her peers become pawns should reinforcements come. Her stolid voice disarmed him, but didn't wipe away the skepticism coating his trust in dust. Amanda told Hobsburgo not to tell her that he forgot the last time he let strangers into the manor, pointing out how it hurt and scarred him, mom, sister, and brother. Lysandra didn't want to hear her professor's eldest child whinge about a pain millions in their age group got to know during the Alexis Jr. years. Jordine begged Hobbsbugo to use his head rather than his gut as she didn't want the past to repeat itself. Alejo pushed the sisters to enlighten the class on what was done to their branch of the Brumel tree, sinking the bar in a silent cold similar to the conditions outside. Lysandra said that if neither sister wished to elaborate, then her suggestion that the class sleep over hereby wins. Adamant to find out if what he gave worked, Hobbsbugo hoped that his students had empty stomachs as they were in for a spoiling that'll rot them from stem to stern and vice versa. Lysandra remained stolid. Alejo slipped out a smiling salivation while Enrique and Jasmine couldn't be any gladder. Jordine quivered over Hobbsburgo, effectively setting her and Amanda up to be murdered by letting the ten stay in the manor. The sisters thought their father's love was worth less than preserving their lives, not that it was superlative on its own merits. Their priorities now were themselves and each other having the belts that kept them nonviolent. Hobbsburgo welcomed the ten to his manner, choking them with respect and admiration at the inspiration he took from a citadel that no longer existed. The walls formed, sculpted, and colored a decor that was as Brumelian as its flags, stripes, and star. Prus blue robins and Aroxy cougars hid small or stood tall by the common sapphire or rare bixbite. 
Habsburgo told the ten to make themselves at home and not feel an ounce less secure with the lack of guards indoors. Thunder swooped in like a blanket being laid on a mattress and rain fell on the manor noisier than sand sprang out of a showerhead. Both amused Habsburgo, but Jordine and Amanda saw them as their signal to give Alejo, Lisandra, Enrique, and Jasmine the hurting of a lifetime. Twin one-on-two fistfights shed blood, pulled off hair, slammed bodies, produced ruckus, grunts, and marred possessions. Jordine's regret grew the more Enrique and Jasmine used their broken howls to alarm her enough to turn the tide of their brawl. Squashing her wants to turn back, Amanda secured the upper hand in her fight and held it in the angriest way imaginable. Lysandra screams for Habsburgo to get his psycho female dogs off of her, aligned its bursts with Alejo's fall to a cradle that kicked up and forward to limited returns. The other classmates stayed put and didn't dare attempt to intervene as the guards who charged in to break up the fight did that for them. Though the brawl was brief, it exhausted an egregious anger that an already mad Habsburgo acquired. He thinned that furiousness into a calmly harsh order for the sisters to go to their rooms and not come out. Amanda impassively squinted at the bloodied floor, furniture, and possessions, then at Alejo and Lisandra, whose clean clothes were all dirtied up. Jordine preserved her neural composure by thinking of the storm outside and not the beaten states she, Enrique, and Jasmine now shared. Preparing to feel his daughter's wraths, Habsburgo wasn't prepared for them to simply walk away without saying a word or making an abrasive flinch. In past screw-ups, he would have had hells of a time with the sisters calling him classics such as an awful father and piece of stool. But on a couple occasions, their spats escalated to physicality that hurt Habsburgo VI and forced Hightower to separate them before any permanent damage could be spat on or struck in. To the fortune of Habsburgo V as well as Jordine and Amanda, their issues had been dying down in recent months. Notwithstanding the latest brawl, he was pleased to see the sisters realize that they really messed up this time. Habsburgo viewed this 
as a crucial step in the right direction and one that leveled his inclinations to throw them out. Slightly less furious, he found it such a pity that the fight ruined thousands in treasures that can't be replaced. Hobsbugel recommended that his daughter's classmates hang out in the ballroom so that his workers can clean up the mess. Almost everyone heeded his recommendation, leaving him with Lysandra, who looked swamped by her minor injuries. He clenched his eyes to lock his tears inside to save himself from seeing her reduced to a sobbing primary schooler. Alejo was gonna help Habsburgo with healing Lysandra's psyche, but was told by her to make merry with the others, and that she'll be fine. With her mate joining the swing party, she showed Habsburgo how sorry she was for the destruction she had a part in. His heart turned like a tight screw made tighter, sighing his tell to her that there was nothing she had to apologize for. Hobsburgo asked Lysandra what he could do to make it up to her for his daughter's transgressions. She requested that they spend some time alone in his office, giggling while being helped back to her feet. Wood and leather molded a palace into a cave ideal for taking care of business, wowing her as he asked what she thought. Lysandra commented that Habsburgo really knew how to impress and excite, earning herself a handsome wink. Her heart danced in a jamboree at how decisively she won his charm and close she was to entering a more intimate plane. Habsburgo unlocked a safe and the dense wooden box inside to reveal an unopened bottle of a special Pinot Noir from 1925. He introduced Lysandra to the last bottle Hamilton Sr. ever produced, and only surviving one from his late winery. Habsburger V said that he inherited it from Habsburger III, who was its original buyer, treasuring it as a memento to be preserved, well cared for, and passed down. He wanted Lysandra to tell him if this was her first time seeing him in person, wondering if that changed any preconceived notions she had of him. She answered that all the stuff she heard on the radio made him out to be an out-of-touch snob, incapable of empathy, but today cleansed her mind of that impression and replaced it with a more substantiated one. Hobsburgo pressed Lysandra to answer 
his next question, honestly receiving a pinky that swore on her family's lineage that she won't lie. He asked her if she was subjected to things that were of an unspeakable cruelty, zapping her into looking down in a ponder as furrow as any she's ever done. Hobbsbugo took a massive risk by asking Lysandra a question that required looking deep within. The chance of him receiving an answer that could bring his gravest fear to rest was worth the equal likelihood that he'd bear witness to a wrenching outburst. The answer she gave him was that she can't recall any such ordeals or experiences that struck her as uniquely cruel. Hobbsbugel shoved off Lysandra's demand for a reason behind the personal questions by saying that he was just curious. She scoffed at his response and said that there must be more to him doing that than innocent curiosity, designating now as his chance to confide in her anything he had on his chest. Hobbsbugel thought about what Lysandra said for a moment, then maintained that his hands were clean and that God was his witness. Growing a little bit upset, Lysandra told him to quit messing around and get to telling or she'll find out for herself. On the fly, Hobbsbugel confessed to spraying bug killers on his grapevines to deter insects, but swore on his name that all the chemicals are washed out before the grapes see any processors. Lysandra said if using pesticides was his darkest secret, he should consider himself lucky, as that's a benign thing to hide in this day and age. She was baffled that Habsburgo would treat something that's become such a standard as this cardinal sin to conceal from the public. If anything, Lysandra thought it'd be more problematic if he didn't use pesticides since they're engineered to kill bugs capable of spreading lethal pathogens. Habsburgo felt kilograms fall off his shoulders at a firing bullet's acute explosiveness. It caused his soul to skip feet high in a relief that could clearly look ahead after trying to do so with a mirror dirtied by the past four years. The dose had the purpose of making sure his subjects wouldn't suffer at the hands of a project that was his gravest regret by a country mile wishing to erase its existence from memory. Meanwhile, wine flowed all over the ballroom and so did the music following the find made when Kobura spun onto a locked cabinet. Her spin clinked what turned out to be unopened fresh wines 
Cardellino helped Onofre gain access to with a shaved key, having Alejo, Verino, Enrique, and Jasmine share in the honor of uncorking them all. Clydette keyed her way into the locked kitchen and snatched a cabinet's worth of glasses for Lere to be a deer by serving her peers. Wine was served to the top and often flowed over it, spilling on the floor like shaky, handheld fountains. It didn't take long for the energetic yet formal dancing to take an informal turn that imperiled safety. Since no guards were nearby, all workers could do was watch the nine make carelessly lewd backsides of themselves. Some accepted Farino's offer to let their taste buds and wastes loose a little, while many others either watched in shock or went to get help. The workers who ran raced up the stairs through the second floor down the third and slowed to a dignified composure upon reaching the office door. One politely knocked while another apologized to Habsburgo for disturbing him but said that his assistance was needed in curtailing an ongoing obscenity. Both them and their co-workers grew concerned when their master didn't respond, which was unusual as he was professionally known for never ignoring anything his subordinates had to say. Their concern went from dull to sharp when their demand for him to answer them was met with silence. The most senior worker used the key Habsburgo entrusted him with to unlock the door, allowing him to lead the rush inside. He and fellow workers felt a moist heat breathe onto their faces, then saw blood drip from a knife. It was Lysandra standing with bent knees over Habsburgo, who was partly on his right side while trying his darndest to keep a single slash from bleeding him out. Despite being stabbed just once, that one wound was so deep that his strong hands were all that kept his spleen from being completely exposed to the potentially septic air. Habsburgo looked up at Lysandra with a horror so intense that it braced him for the very real chance that he won't see tomorrow. She asked him how he could dare believe that the stuff he gave her would make her forget that project, admitting that her target was locked on him the moment he threatened to abandon his own daughters. Lysandra conceded that Habsburgo's dose might have worked better on the others, but said that too will crumble when she refreshes their memories. He ordered his workers to inebriate her peers all to hell and prevent them from leaving the ballroom 
angering her into driving her knife through both his hands. This rendered Habsburgo powerless to stop himself from bleeding profusely, horrifying him into yelling the numbers 1, 9, 1, 5, 1, and 9 thrice. No one could hear it, but what he just did was activate his distress signal without the pull of a lever. His yell summoned officers from various well-hidden outposts to his winery faster than Lysandra's shift from being drunk on her dominance to seeing the end point of her life. He called her out for having the audacity not to anticipate that he'd have a backup plan should his dose not be fully successful. Guards and responding officers surrounded the manor or sprinted inside like clockwork, pooping on the party and forcing its goers to rush outside with nothing in hand. A drunk Alejo asked officers what was going on and then saw a spotlight aim at the office window, upsetting him into yelling for his mate. Hobbsbugo mouthed to Lysandra that she was through, adding that she better pray he makes it because she'll get the chair if he doesn't. She reminded him that Alexis can't save his rear end anymore, explaining that Carlisle III was now in charge. That sobered his wounded gladness into uncovering the long way his fight with Lysandra had to go. To the feeble relief of Hightower, Habsburgo VI was surely recovering at the University of the Capital Hospital in Bromelia City. Her elation made sleeping impossible, so she watched him sleep and began to be drowsy herself. The rest that night almost prepared them for the word they'd receive of Habsburg V's attack the next morning. As for Lysandra, police booked her into the Brumel Square Jail on an attempted murder charge. She used her one phone call to tell Alejo to get you-know-who to defend her and convince Carlisle to take time out of his day to chat with her as she's got some things he'd like to know about as they could be of use for that special committee. Lysandra smiled at how obedient he was to hear and equated it to a cute little dog that's so desperate to please his owner. Her lesser self would have found such a devotion pathetic, but understood that an advocate as great as him was someone worth loving, and as fate would have it, Lysandra's attack on Habsburgo caused a chain reaction 
no one foresaw. And that was one man's dose. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to the story I just gave. Share this show with everyone you know. Make sure they share it with everyone they know. Check out my website at www.rss.com slash podcasts slash the dystopian republic. Send me your respectful questions and constructive feedback at Raul Guerrero Jr. 95 at gmail.com. And lastly, support the show via my PayPal at paypal.com slash paypalme slash Raul Guerrero Jr. On that note, I'm Raul Guerrero and come again for another gripping, thoughtful, and sinister episode of the Dystopian Republic.